invite you to take your scriptures, if you wouldn't, turn back to that Matthew 7 passage. Entering places isn't as easy as it used to be. I was joking with Pastor Steve the other day about the first few years I came here. I don't remember us ever locking the doors. Now, that was 23 years ago, and I don't remember us really being worried about people coming in and taking, maybe we should have been, but we weren't. Um, Entering places are far more difficult nowadays. In fact, if you come to Faith Christian School, we have a school here uh, during the school year, like preschool through eighth grade. If you come here, you'll need a key fob to get in, or you have to be buzzed in. Someone has to give you access. You can't just come in on your own. You have to have the right way to get in. Um, If you go to the airport and you try to get on an airplane, you're not going to get on unless you have a proof of ID. And then that proof of ID will give you a boarding pass. You can't just get on the plane when you want to. You have to be given access to it. In fact, in America, if you're trying to come into our country, it's probably harder than it's ever been to come into America. You're going to have to have a passport and you're going to have to prove that you're an American citizen So if you're going through customs, it's not an easy thing to gain entrance into America. And all throughout the Sermon on the Mount that we've been discussing, Jesus has been telling us about how someone can, and I'll use his words, enter the kingdom of heaven. Chapter 5 and verse 20, uh, which was the start of this whole section. And Jesus said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds, goes beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees. And then he says it in the most powerful way you could say it in the original language. He uses a double negative. You will never, he wants to get our attention, you will never, there it is, enter the kingdom of heaven. You cannot get in unless you have an inside-out righteousness. He says it's not enough to get into the kingdom of heaven by having just a religious externalism, not just showing up to church, not just trying to be the best person that you can be, not just hoping someday that when you stand before God, your good works will outweigh your bad. He says religious externalism isn't it. You're going to need an inside-out righteousness, a righteousness that completes and, can I say, transforms the entire person. In fact, an even stronger language, right behind our text that's coming up here in a couple of weeks, Jesus says in chapter 7 and verse 21, and I quote, listen to this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, see, even the right religious vocabulary, it even sounds Christian. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. So you can talk as if God is your God and Jesus is your Lord and you can have all the right words you say. He says, not everybody who talks like that We'll get into the kingdom. You can't enter. It's just saying things won't do it. And in the verses, he goes on to say, it's how you do your life. It's how you live your life. See, that's the passport to get in. And here's the scary thing. Can I give you a little preview? He says, this is what path many take. Many take it. My prayer this week is that wouldn't be true at Faith Baptist Church. But Jesus says, on Judgment Day, that perhaps many people at Faith Baptist Church will show up to God, before God 
and they will try to show him their salvation passport, but it will say, when put through the little machine, access denied. People will pull out their heavenly or spiritually, uh, spiritual ID, trying to prove that they are a child of God. And as it says in 723, Jesus will say to many of them, I never knew you because your ID is a fake. Why? Why will this happen? Jesus says because the vast majority of people are trying to enter the kingdom, hear me, the wrong way. And the rejection of this one essential truth will prove to be for millions an eternity of destruction, to use Jesus' words. Now, the fact that Jesus would say that the gate is narrow and the way is hard goes against the very grain of everything that our cultural mindset stands for. Postmodernism has relativized about everything, including truth and morality. Right and wrong are being blurred perhaps more than ever before in American society. Toleration is now the password that allows you to get into the kingdom of the American dream, but it is not the password to get into the kingdom of heaven. Truth Morality and right and wrong are no longer decided by black and white categories, but rather they're decided by what is politically correct and oftentimes along with it ungodly agendas. Truth is no longer objective, it has become subject. It is not primarily divine, but human. In other words, we have made up and decided for ourselves what is the right way. And for Jesus to say this morning, in fact, it could be for you, that he is the only way and the narrow way is just him to get into the kingdom, to people in our day would be bigoted. It would smack of exclusivism. And to say that the gate is narrow automatically makes it restrictive. And that's a problem in our day because intolerance is not tolerated. So Jesus says, if you want to get into the kingdom, in verse 13 he says, here's how you enter. You enter in by the narrow gates. And the difference between gates and roads are different. Seemingly, when you get it to be a Christian, there is a gate experience. In other words, there is a time, a moment, an event where you come to know Jesus as your Savior. But can I tell you, very frankly this morning, that that's not all there is to it. Jesus says that there is a narrow gate. And he wants you to know by saying such that all religions do not lead to the same place sincerity about what you believe is not what matters most and Jesus does not offer a buffet or smorgasbord of all kinds of gate choices he says no indeed the opposite is true that the gate actually is narrow so narrow Jesus says in John's gospel that I am the gate I am the door I remember when I first started the ministry down in Trenton and we were working on starting Mosaic, and I had not been downtown Trenton very much. And so I was learning my way around, and I had someone who was kind of a street person and had went around and for like three or four hours just drove me everywhere around Trenton so I could learn, go here, don't go here, this is not where you want to be at this time of day, and blah, blah, blah. And so they were teaching me. One thing I didn't learn was that there was this one street that was one way. So I turned on it going the wrong way. And cars were going this way around me and this way around me. I didn't know what to do. It's a very short street, really. But I got to the, uh, the end of it, and there was a light there. 
there was a light there that had green and yellow and red, and then there were lights behind me because the police officer was behind me. <laughs> and he pulled me over. And I honestly, I, I knew I was in trouble. So he comes up, he pulls me over, and he goes, you know you're on the, a, a one-way street, right? And I go, yes. And he goes, why? I go, I didn't know. And guess what? Ignorance wasn't enough. I still got a ticket. Jesus says, Christianity is a one-way street. It's not possible. It's, it's not something that Jesus apologizes for. It's the reality, he says. You remember, for me, I know it's hard to believe that I'm in my 50s, but I am. But I was, I remember back, you remember watching Willy Wonka? How many watch Willy Wonka? Oh, you guys are all old. That's so cool. Um, but you remember when they first get in there and they're going to enter into, they've got all the kids and their parents, and they're going to enter in the chocolate factory, and he opens this gate, and what happens? It leads down this hallway, and as he goes down it, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and narrow, and, they feel, and now they're all crunched in there, and everybody's complaining, and eventually he opens the door and he says, here's the gate to beyond imagination. But you know what? It got really, really small, and I thought, you know what? That's what Jesus is talking about. Everybody wants the gate to paradise, to the kingdom of heaven, to be this wide gate that anybody can get in, bring everything you have with you, with you, to, you know, through that. But here's what Jesus says. It's a narrow gate. It's a narrow gate. And the Bible says that it's also, listen, a hard way. Jesus, notice this in the text. Jesus characterizes entering the kingdom not only by a gate, But look at the text. It's a way. He says that there is a hard way and there is an easy way. Now, see, two gates, two ways. And then it says, and they lead to two places. The wide one, the broad one, leads to destruction. But Jesus says the other one leads to life. See, they are complete antithetically to each other. They are opposites of one another. And Jesus says, see, entering the kingdom is not just an event, a gate. It's a process. It's a way. And the way is hard. The word way means a path. It means a road in which we travel. It's a lifestyle. So Jesus says, when you enter the gate and you trust Jesus, it's not just an event that happens and you forget about it. No, that event of trusting Jesus transforms and changes the way that you live from then on out. That's why it's a way. And the way of following Jesus, once you enter the gate, he says, here's the word, it's hard. For many people, being a Christian means believing or holding Christian ideas or teachings in their head. And certainly that's part of it because truth and knowledge and facts about Jesus and the gospel and what he did for us are certainly part of what it means to be a Christian. But for too many people, their Christianity is just a view by which they make decisions. And certainly some of these ideas serve as rules and at times even shape our behavior. But as Doug Jones says, most, part, most of us, we live typically middle-class lives with all of its worries, activities, rituals, and all the things that Jesus warned us against. I have slides I wanted to show you because I thought this point was so important. I wanted to show you how the, the Bible talks about the way. That it is a lifestyle. That Christianity isn't just an event where I say a prayer. It is an event that starts that way, but it continues with a different kind of life. In the Old Testament, Psalm 1-6 
contrast two ways. It doesn't say two events or two professions, two ways, because this is the final judgment. There's the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. The way of the righteous will flourish, but the way of the wicked, it says, will perish because they're two different lifestyles. Proverbs 2.20 says, walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths, same word, or roads of righteousness. So when you know God, the expectation in the Old Testament was it would be demonstrated by the way that you lived. Also in the Gospels, notice it says in Luke 1.79, Jesus would be the one to guide our feet into the way, see it, of peace. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way. Matthew 21, 32 was said of John the baptizer that he taught people in the way of righteousness. Jesus was said by the religious leaders that he taught the way of God. He wasn't just talking about an event. He was talking about what that event would do in your life. Because when you come to Jesus and you enter in the narrow gate, you live a different way, Jesus says. And then maybe most profoundly is how that phrase is used in the book of Acts. I put all of them on the screen because eventually, believe it or not, before believers were called Christians. In fact, Christian is only a title used three times in the entire New Testament. But what the number one title, if you can say it, what Christians were called in the gospel was called was we were people of the way. That we lived differently than everybody else. We had a way of living that no one else in the Roman Empire was doing. So what they called it was the way. Anyone who was of the way. The way of the Lord. They explained to Apollos the way of the Lord more clearly. Some people spoke evil of the way. Great commotion about the way. They persecuted the way. According to the way, which was a sect of Judaism. And, and see, all the New Testament talks about this. That Christianity is not just a set of beliefs. It is a total way of life. I like to put it this way. When you become a Christian, your life changes trajectory. You used to be going like this. And when you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, now that trajectory completely changes. You are going the opposite direction and going a different way. Jesus is pretty clear cut. He is pretty black and white. When he says this, there are only two gates. There are only two ways. In the next lesson, next week, he's going to say there are only two kinds of trees. The very last thing he's going to tell us is there are two houses. And for Jesus, and he would want you to know today, there really is no middle ground. You are either on the narrow road or you're on the broad road. And everyone in this place today, and I would say everyone in the entire world, is on one of these two roads, one of these two paths. And whichever path you have chosen and that you are walking down right now shapes your life. You do what you do, and you say what you say, and your priorities and your morality and how you think are all determined by the path that you choose. And the thing about it, Jesus says, is that it not just determines your present, but it will determine your future. Yes, both now and eternity. And so Jesus sets these two roads, these two paths, these two ways side by side and does not want you to be robotic. He is not forcing, but yet God says, this is the way I want you to choose. It's either the narrow or the wide. It's either hard or easy. You're either going to 
choose the path that leads to destruction or leads to life. You're either going to follow the few or you're going to follow the many. That's why Jesus says the gate is narrow and his way, the Jesus way, is hard. The word hard in the New Testament is translated in Mark's gospel to crush. In 1 Thessalonians, it's translated suffer affliction. And almost every time this word is used throughout the remainder of the New Testament, it talks about what people do to you. In other words, they persecute you, they crush you, they afflict you. And so here's what Jesus says, that if you enter the narrow gate, you put your faith and trust in him, that he died for you and rose again, and that's your hope of eternal life. And you choose, by the sovereign grace of God, to go down the the narrow path, the hard path. Here's what he says. It's not going to be just hard for you. It is going to be hard on you. It'll be hard for you because it's the way of the cross. It'll involve dying to sin and self every day. But it's more than that. Jesus says the way is hard. Here's why. Because few find it. You find it. Can I tell you this? Following Jesus through the narrow way and the hard road is not popular. You will be constantly pressured, and it doesn't matter whether you're a teenager or whether you're a single young adult or whether you're married and have children. Can I tell you this? You will be pressured constantly to leave the Jesus way, to take the easy routes. The word easy means in the New Testament, especially when it comes to places or rooms, it means large, spacious. The idea there isn't a crowd there. There isn't anyone else there. See, on the wide road, there's a lot of people there. And you can blend in. If you take the wide gate in the easy way, it's where the vast majority of people are. And that's why it's so alluring and enticing. And that's why so many teenagers today and adults take that road. You know why? Because you don't have to stand out on that road. You don't have to be different for Jesus on that road. You can profess him as your savior, but you don't have to live that way. See, you can blend in. You can be a chameleon. You can come to church and look one way and talk one way, but when you're with your friends and no one else is around, including your parents... So you can be completely different about that. You can be basically like everybody else. See, there's no life transformation required on this path. It's the same message that you hear on TV and that commercial about Las Vegas. And the slogan says, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. In other words, come to Vegas for a business convention and be immoral. And then return to your spouse as if nothing happened. See, Vegas has no immediate consequences. It's the wide path. It's the broad road. It's the easy way. The message of Vegas, biblically, however, utterly foolishness. Ultimately damning. It assumes that a man who goes to Vegas isn't the same one who comes back. It thinks that when you kiss your spouse, you can act as if nothing happened. It's a lie. And so is everything on the broad path. Everything on the wide road. You know what it wants? It wants to split you up. It wants to create an image that you have of yourself as a faithful spouse. 
or a faithful Christian when in reality you've betrayed your sacred covenant and you often are unfaithful to your Lord. See, what most people don't realize is when you go to Vegas, it changes you. It shapes your life. It starts you on a deadly path that will ultimately lead you to destruction. It's a trajectory. That's what it is. See, Vegas is living the easy way, but it's not the Jesus way. And there are many who find it. And you know I'm not talking about going to literal Vegas. Many people want the easy way because they find it too difficult to go against the flow, to swim upstream, to be against the crowd. It's the difference between being immoral in high school, like everybody else almost, or rather being taking the choice not to date so much because you want to keep your purity. It's the difference between being one of the boys at work so that you can get along with the boss and get the next promotion. So you go to the bars and you get drunk and you cuss and tell the perverted stories like everybody else does. Or you don't. And you don't get the promotion. It's the difference between being accepted by your family and have everybody like you and having peace there or instead being ostracized or being excluded by your family because of your unwillingness to let their sinful lifestyles pass, pass unnoticed. It's the difference, and it was the difference, for Jaylene Hinkle. Jaylene Hinkle, after the 2015 Supreme Court ruling that legalized same-sex marriage, posted this on her Instagram. She said, I believe with every fiber in my body that what was written 2,000 years ago in the Bible is undoubtedly true. This world may change, but Christ and his word never will. This made Miss Hinkle a marked woman. In 2017, Hinkle chose to withdraw from the national team, national soccer team from America, because they said, if you're going to play in our team, you have to wear the jersey sporting the LGBTQ rainbow numbers in order to celebrate, celebrate gay pride. She said she wouldn't because it defied the Bible. She plays for the New Courage, a North, I'm sorry, the North Carolina Courage team in the National Women's Soccer League. If you watch her played, play on that team, almost every time she touches the ball, she gets booed and jeered by the crowd, according to the article I read. Last year, she was invited to try out for the World Cup team that is playing today for the championship by the U.S. coach, who is still the coach, Jill Ellis, who is a known lesbian. Three days into her tryout, Miss Hinkle was cut. And when asked why, the coach said, for football reasons. She was voted by all players, including those on her team who are homosexual, as the best defender on the national team. But yet she was cut. Why? I'll tell you why. Because the way of Jesus is hard. It will cost you something, and in fact, perhaps everything. See, it's, we think it's hard, isn't it, to be lied about like she was, to take a stand for truth and try to do it as lovingly as we possibly can and still be called a bigot, 
to be called intolerant or homophobic or narrow-minded. It's hard in our minds, we think, to be a senior in high school and be the only one who is still a virgin or doesn't go to the parties on the weekends like everybody else. It's hard to be a young person and be single and a young adult today and not compromise your morality. See, we believe, and it's true, that those things at times are hard for us to follow that narrow way and that hard road. But can I give you perspective today? Can I tell you what is really hard? Jesus being arrested by guilty people when he was totally innocent. That was hard. Jesus being mocked and ridiculed by people whose every word about him was a lie. Being slapped in the face when you didn't deserve it was hard. Being punched in the head or being hit in the head with a rod was hard when you had the power of the universe to respond at your disposal. Being scourged with a cat of nine tails that tore his skin off his body, that was hard. Wearing a crown of thorns on his head, that was hard. Bleeding as if it were great drops of blood down his forehead in the Garden of Gethsemane, that was hard. Carrying your cross and mine when he didn't have to, that was hard. Having your hands pierced by nails and your feet inside by a spear, that was hard. Dying for the sin of humanity, who had chosen the wide gate and the easy way time after time after time. In fact, we're still rejecting you as you died for them on the cross. That was hard taking your destruction and the wrath that you deserve from a holy God and instead in your place giving you life, that is hard. You see, what Jesus says to us this morning about entering the kingdom is that the way is narrow. He is the only way. Acts 4.12 said, There is no other name under heaven given among men. No other name. None. But we must be saved. He says the gate is narrow. If you're going to come to the Father, it's only through me, he says. And then once you have him as your Lord and Savior, see, the path that you walk and the steps of Jesus is hard. It's difficult. It will not be easy. Ernest Shackleton wrote a newspaper article advertising in 1914 for men who would like to join him on the first South Pole adventure. They were trying to reach the South Pole. So he wrote in a newspaper this article to try to solicit men to join his ship called the Endurance, which wasn't a good start. The article reads this way. Men wanted for hazardous journey to the South Pole. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition available in case of success. That was his article. And believe it or not, people responded. He filled the entire crew. What if Jesus put the same newspaper article out there for us? What if he said this, looking for people to enter the kingdom? Men and women wanted for a hazardous journey to the kingdom of heaven. Small, very small levels of popularity, bitter rejection, 
Long months of loneliness standing alone for him. Regular risks taken. Safety is questionable. Honor and recognition when successful. How many would join up? Truth is, that is his newspaper clipping. That is what he is saying. He says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, it can't be your righteousness. It can't be religiosity. It couldn't be your wealth or the money you give in the plate or how good you might think you are or what your parents did or how long you've been in a church. See, those things won't cut it, he says. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, it's very, very narrow. And the entrance point, the access pass, is incredibly limited. It's limited to one person, and that one person is Jesus. And Jesus says, I died on the cross, not just to be a good example so that you could point to me and say, what a great guy. No, he died on the cross so that he could substitutionary pay for your penalty and your sin and mine dying there. And he rose again on the third day so that he could have the triumph over everything that would keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. And that would be sin and hell and death. And what he says, and if you would have that life, you don't work for it, you can't merit, you can't earn it because you have to come through the little gate, the gate of Jesus. But he says, once you get in the gate and trust him, can I tell you this? It changes everything. And that's the part we don't like. We don't mind so much the narrow gate and maybe trusting Jesus. But having our way be hard and every day be difficult because we have to die to our sin and self and let his lordship take control of everything is quite another story for many. Few haunting words to me. Few there be that find it. Few. I don't know what few means. But in a church of 400 Could it be that 40 find it? I don't know. But God brought you here today, not by accident, but by divine appointment. And what he does is he brought you here and the gate is open to you today for you. And he's told you all the things that are going to be true in your life. And he wonders if you will follow. Few there be that find it. Are you one of the few? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, we'll close our service in just a few moments by singing 596, I Surrender All. It's a great hymn. Because Christianity is an event and a process. It is a gate and a road. Can I ask you, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you be willing this morning to properly and accurately evaluate which road you're really on? I know which one you profess to be on, perhaps. But can I ask you, does your life match that? Jesus says there will be many people on that day who will say, Lord, Lord, to me. And then they'll profess, see, I did all these wonderful things for you. And he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. Oh, by God's grace and mercy, may that never be said to anyone here. But perhaps you're here today and you're not really honestly sure what path you're on. You know the difference between the two. But you'd have to honestly say that your life doesn't show it. 
And knowing Jesus is not about your effort or works or meriting or anything to get to heaven. But if you're going to heaven, Jesus says, my goal is not just to get you into heaven, but heaven into you. And that'll be, both will be true. As we close our service today, I invite you, encourage you, I plead with you to come forward, not because walking an aisle will do anything different in your life, but it'll give someone here an opportunity to take the Bible and show you how you can know that you're on the narrow road, that you're on the path of Jesus. Father, we know that you are here today. And we know that these are your words. They're Jesus' words. And to a very religious culture in Judaism, they must have seemed very hard to hear. And so it is today in the 21st century. Some of those things have never changed over time. And it's very difficult for us as religious people to even contemplate that we might be on the wrong road. I'm so thankful that the vast majority, perhaps, of people here at Faith Baptist Church have entered the narrow gate and daily take the hard road. I'm so grateful for that. Father, I pray for those who have lingering doubt, question marks in their mind about the reality of the access they have into the kingdom. I pray today that you would help them to humble themselves, to get little and get low, And that you, by the Spirit of God, might do a work in their lives and make the transformation real and lasting for your glory. And we'll thank you for what you're pleased to accomplish. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.